You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. Well, by now, uh, your Bible ought to just fall open to 1 John, as long as we have been here. Uh, your Bible ought to just pop open to 1 John. We left off in chapter 4, verse 17. Let's get started. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in him. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For we don't love people we can, for if we don't love people we can see, how do we love God who we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, once again, here we go, talking about love. Uh, Not... Because this is all John can think about, but each time he goes a little deeper into the same subject throughout this study, as we've been looking at what first first John and what John wrote to us up until this point, the emphasis has been on Christians loving one another, and and, and three previous times that we've talked about this, we've centered on love each other because we're in fellowship with God. We're to love each other because of the sonship we're in of God. And we're to love each other because that's the nature of God. Now, that's what we've seen so far. Now, this is the fourth time to look at the subject of God. And we're going to turn the emphasis from Christians loving one another, and that's what we've been talking about, Christians loving one another, to even something more deep something much more deep, something that's much more important, a much more important topic is that a believer loves God. That a believer loves God. And the main point we're going to talk about is the fact you're not going to be able to love your neighbor or your brother unless you love God. Just this last week, I I was trying to remember the conversation that Terry was or I started to say that Terry and I were having, but I think it was a conversation she was having with me. Uh, but <clears throat> she was telling me about some counsel that she had given somebody. And, and she said, I just told them, you can't begin to do what I'm telling you until you turn your heart to Jesus. You can't even begin to do what I'm talking about until you have a life-changing transformation experience where Jesus becomes Lord of your life. For us to be called to walk as givers and not be selfish, well, the natural guy can't do that. 
When the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, in, in the flesh, you can't do that. There are things that the Bible calls us to do that you're not going to do until you come into that relationship with the Lord. Only after we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our mind, can we then love our neighbor? And the key word in this section that we're going to look at is the word perfect. God wants to perfect in us his love, and he wants to perfect his love in us for us, so that we are able to walk in a love for God. The the word perfect here um, in, in the original text, it means maturity and it means completeness. A believer is not only to grow in grace and in knowledge, but also grow in his love for the Father. And we do this as a result of God's love for us. It's it's the way this life that we've been talking about works. The Christian life is to be a daily experience of growing in love with God. When you love God, it changes everything for you. It changes everything for you. Until then, you're just going to church and you're trying to keep some do-right laws. But when you come to a place in your life when you love God, it changes. I was thinking earlier today about the story of Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. He was the second in command of all of Egypt. You knew you got to know his wife was drop-dead gorgeous, or he wouldn't have had her. So you got this drop-dead gorgeous woman, and she's making a pass at a, at a 17, 18-year-old boy, Joseph. And, and, and you got to know that Joseph would have been highly interested in this affair with this woman. But it, but it was interesting. Joseph said, I, how could I do such a thing against God? See, you're not worried about the police catching you. You're not worried about the Teen Challenger director catching you. You're not worried about the directors down at Shalom finding out about you. You're not worried about... You do not want to displease God. And your life changes when you come into a relationship with God. And you don't want to hurt God. You don't want to embarrass God. You don't want God to be displeased with you. Oh, wait, are they looking? Anybody? Here, you stand at the door and tell us if the teacher's coming. You're not worried about the teacher coming. You don't want to displease God. When you love God. We've been guilty in Christianity of becoming preoccupied with our one piece of the puzzle. And, and because of that, denominations over the years have formed that major on their one piece of the puzzle. And there are, there are churches that you go to, in every service you're going to hear a salvation message. That's their one piece, and that's all they're concerned with. They're not concerned about any other aspect of your life. You, you go to other church, and it, their aspect or their one piece of the puzzle is holiness. Or you go, their one piece of the puzzle is deliverance. Or their one piece of the puzzle is speaking in tongues in the gifts. Or the, their one piece of the puzzle is faith. I had a man not long ago that came and said, I'm looking for a church, but before I attend here, I need to know what are the words you say when you baptize somebody. 
And, and but we got folks. I can't, I'm not going to go to a church that does not say in Jesus' name. Or I'm not going to go to a church that doesn't say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, you, and, and we're going to fight and split because that is what we're going to build our entire thesis on is this one piece of the puzzle. And church, th- there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. But what happens is we get so caught up. Uh, and this guy talking to me right there, he was so caught up in what I said when I baptized anybody that he forgot to love God. He forgot to love God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. You love God. Do you have a love for God, or do you have your doctrine, or your denominational issue, or or your thing that you found in Scripture, and that means more to you than anything else? We've missed loving God. You come to a place where you love God. And when you love God, all of these other things begin to fall in a line for you. We just miss loving God. And we got churches fighting and splitting. We've got people fighting and splitting and arguing over denominational issues. And, and, and First John says, does anybody here love God? Is, is anybody here just in love with God? How can a believer know that his love for God is being perfected? And that's what John's talking about here. Well, he gives us four evidences in this passage. Evidence number one, confidence. Number two, honesty. Number three, obedience. And number four, victory. I want to look at these four. Verse 17. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. John says, verse 17, so you'll not be afraid. Verse 18, no fear. John is, is writing... Remember, to believers. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to believers here. And, and it is possible for you as a believer to still live your life walking in fear. Now, how can a Christian live in fear? The reason is they're not growing in their love of God. He brings up the word confidence. Now, confidence is not arrogance. It's not brashness in oneself confidence, cocky. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a confidence in God and in what God did for us. If people are afraid, it's because something in their past haunts them, something in the present upsets them, or something in the future is threatening to them. A believer doesn't have to fear about your past, about your present, or about your future. And you got to come to an understanding of that. Our past, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for a Christian. God's not condemning you about mistakes you've made in your past. In our 
present situation, positionally, Ephesians 2, 6 says, right now we are seated in heavenly places with him. That's the best seat in the house. Our future, Revelation 21, 27 says, that my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. My future is secured. So, so I'm not defeated by my past. I'm not defeated by my present, nor am I defeated by what's facing me in my future. There is great fear for those who are not saved. I mean, if you're not right with God, there's great fear. Look, flip, hold your place here. Uh, Romans chapter 8. There's just so many places we turn and look, and I, and I don't have the time, but I, I just want to look at this. Ver, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Verse 37. Despite all of these things, and he lists that. Hunger, calamity, persecution, destitute, danger, threatened with death. I mean, on and on. Can any of those things separate us? In spite of all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, say that word confidence again. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears, nor today, or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on earth, below indeed. Nothing in all of creation will ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you understand that, confidence comes in your heart and you don't walk in all kinds of fear. Now we're talking about four evidences of God's love being perfected in us. Number one, you'll have confidence. You're not wringing your hands over your life. You'll walk in confidence because of God's love. Number two, you start living in honesty. You start living in honesty. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how we love God whom we cannot see. And he's given this command to those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, for the seventh time, John says, if someone says, if someone says, if someone says. And each time he brings this up, it's a warning against our lying or our what we call pretending or our putting on a face or our putting on a mask. A Christian who lacks confidence with God will also lack confidence with God's people. And you can watch this. You can watch somebody withdrawing from people. You can know they're not right with God. They got something to hide. What, happened, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did whenever they did wrong? They hid. They hid. When somebody is withdrawing from people... When you when you got a teenager at home and starts withdrawing from the family, I'm just telling you, when somebody starts withdrawing from church, withdrawing from God's people, when you got somebody withdrawing from God's people, you can know they're not right with God because fear is produced in your heart. When our hearts are confident toward God, then there's no need for us to pretend when we're around people. When our heart's right with God, then I don't have to put up a mask, and I don't have to hide in fear, and I don't have to pretend. A Christian who lacks confidence with God will also lack confidence with God's people. An immature Christian who is not growing in their love for God 
may think that they have to impress other people. And this turns him into a liar. He's professing something that he's not practicing. He's playing a role instead of living a life. Here's a familiar story. Go to Acts chapter 5. Just just an example of this. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He bought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was a full amount. With his wife consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money also was yours to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I guess so. (laughs) Then some of the men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? She replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they're going to carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. You may want to tell the truth. I'm just, just saying Now, make sure you get the point of this story. The sin was not the dispersal of the money. Look, the property was yours and the money was yours. Do what you want to do. What the sin was was lying about the money. That was the problem. You didn't have to do anything here. But the problem is, is coming in here and trying to make people think that you're more religious, that you did something more religious than you really did. That is why these folks got in trouble and were buried out back. It it wasn't the handling of the money. It was the lying about it. Let me just tell you something. Honesty brings peace. You guys at Teen Challenge, I'd love for you to get a hold of this. Honesty will bring peace. Honesty will bring peace to your heart. Because you don't have to keep a record of what you told and who you told what to. Let me tell you something else it does. Honesty will bring rest. There's a lot of energy consumed when you're trying to maintain a lie. You don't have to live all jerked up. When I'm driving down the road and I have a text go off, I hand the phone to my wife and have her read it. That's peace. That's peace. And it is better than any amount of fun that I might try to have that would cause me to have to be afraid and hide and lie and cheat. Whatever amount of fun lying and cheating and whatever amount of fun that might bring you, it's not worth the peace in your life that comes with being honest in life. It's freedom. It's great freedom in your life when your phone can ding and you can hand it to somebody else and say, read that text to me. 
without worrying about who might be right and what might be said, to who might be said, what language they might be using, or what words they may be... I don't have enough, I don't have any fear about that. See, let me tell you, love and truth go together. They go hand in hand. Because you know God loves you, because you know God accepts you, you're not trying to impress other people and maintain a bunch of lies. A, a person can wear themselves out trying to maintain a life built on lies. Confidence toward God and honesty with others will show that God's love is being perfected in you. Number three, joyful obedience. Chapter five, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves God loves the Father, loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not just simply obeying God. It's joyful obedience. Doing right is not burdensome. And you need to know that. Doing right, living right, living honest is not burdensome. Disobedience to God is what's burdensome. Disobedience to God is what wears you out and saps you of life and energy. What is the secret of joyful obedience, love God. You just love God. When you love God, then you joyfully obey Him. We demonstrate this love by keeping His commandments. As our love for God matures, we have confidence. We're not afraid of His will for our life. We are honest. We don't have to pretend we are in His will when we're not in His will. And we love doing His will. It's just a lot more fun and rewarding. Hold your place. Go to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. I just want to skip down through this chapter. Psalms 119, verse 14. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. And that's joyful obedience. I like God's laws. They're not burdensome to me. I understand they protect me. That there's a law in town, you can't drive your car on a sidewalk. That's not to ruin your life. When I'm a pedestrian, I love that law. See, I love God's laws because I understand they're to protect me and keep me okay. It's not, oh, there's another one of God's laws. No, I'm, I like God's laws because they will keep you Healthy, well, wise, protected. Drop on down verse 16. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Verse 24. Your laws please me. They give me wise advice. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. 103. How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. 162. Look down at verse 162. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. Go to Matthew chapter 11. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Oh, Tim, it's just so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard. Uh, it's just not hard at all. What's hard is being a heathen. That's what's hard. I, I, I can drive my car down the road and never look in the rearview mirror. See, what's hard is being a heathen and breaking God's law. You're always worried about getting caught. I, I can drive and I don't have, oh, there's a cop. When I see a cop car, I don't get a lump in my throat. There's a hard life, but being a Christian isn't it. Living your life against and disobedient to God's will, you are carving you out a very hard life. A life of worry, a life of fear, a life of regret, a life of always panicking, a life of always looking over your shoulder. When you're living right, it isn't that hard to live. You can live relatively happy. So I don't have nobody chasing me. I don't have, I, I pay all my bills. Are those bill collectors calling you? No. I pay for what I buy. Are they harassing you? No. I just do the right thing and I paid and nobody's harassing me. Come on. Are you understanding this? It's not hard being a Christian. It's hard not being a Christian. Four evidences of our love being perfected in God. Number one, confidence. Number two, honesty. Number three, obedience. And then number four, is victory. Chapter 5, verse 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what I'm telling you. You, you, you can't do this without knowing Jesus. You can't do what we're talking about here until you know God and fall in love with Him. And when you do, and only when you do, can you be victorious in this life. What does victory have to do with maturing love? A Christian in a fallen world faces obstacles and is destroyed by them. Christians in a fallen world can be destroyed by facing these obstacles. But whenever you fall in love with God and you understand and begin to apply His blood in your life, then you have victory over life in a fallen world. You, you can't let... See, we live in a fallen world. People are not, well, let me tell you what that boss said to me. Well, I'll tell you what this... Let me tell you. We live in a fallen world and nobody is perfect. No situation is perfect. No job will you ever have that you will like everybody that works there. No boss will always treat you fairly. We live in a fallen world. And when you come into a love relationship with God, and that's being perfected, then you can live in victory over life in a fallen world. The Christian is born of God. 
Since he's born of God, that means we have received a divine nature. See, when you're born again, you receive the nature of God on the inside of you. Now listen to me. It is impossible for that divine nature to disobey God. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, and you are born again, and you have a divine nature on the inside of you, it is impossible for that divine nature on the inside of you to disobey God. So what do you do? You turn off the old nature, and you turn on this new nature that's inside of you. Whenever something happens, and your temper flares, you can respond after the old nature. Or you can respond after the new nature. And what I'm telling you is it's impossible for the new nature of God that's inside you to to go against God. So follow that new nature that's inside you and don't follow that old nature. Here's what I used to do when I get mad, but I don't do that anymore. Here are the words that I used to say when I got mad, but I don't do those anymore. I use these words. I think these thoughts. I act in this way. See, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you have an old nature and then you have a new nature. And you've got to live according to the new nature and not continue to live according to the old nature. Well, Tim, I've been a Christian. Nothing's going right for me. I'm just not working out for me. I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me. You never did allow his new nature to direct and guide your life. I appreciate the fact that in a service at Shalom, you asked Jesus to come into your heart. That's a great thing. But now for your life to change, you will have to allow your new nature to make the decisions and to transform your thinking. For you accepting Jesus into your life, you've got to be directed by a new way of thinking instead of your old way. And what I'm telling you is, you have a nature inside you that will keep you doing right. You also have a nature inside you that will send you to hell. Now, which one are you going to follow? If the old nature is in control, you will disobey God and you will be defeated by evil. Flip back to chapter 2, verse 15. We already studied this, but just go back and remind us. Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The world appeals to your old nature. Our victory in daily life is a result of us living by faith and our love of God. The more Christ's love is perfected in you, the more our faith in him grows and the more we experience victory over our life. Years ago, I heard a story about a commander in the army that had an Indian scout. And this Indian scout rode by his side every battle that he was in, year in and year out, This scout was closer than any friend he had ever had. 
in his whole life, this Indian scout never left his side. Battle after battle after battle, countless times the Indian scout would save his life. Countless times the scout would come to his rescue. At the end of this commander's life, life was winding down. He knew these were his final moments. The Indian had never left his side, was there by his side on his deathbed, and he asked for pad and pencil. The commander sketched out a note and signed his name and folded that piece of paper up, and he handed it to the Indian. And as he did, he died. The Indian was, he was devastated at the loss of his best friend that he'd ever known in life. He took that piece of paper and he wove a lanyard out of some hide and he put a little locket that he put together and he stuffed this piece of paper in this locket and he wore it around his neck and never took it off. Over the years, his friends would joke about the lanyard. If you tried to mess with it, the fight was on. This was the most protected possession of his life. And as time went on, it got very difficult for all of his tribe. Starvation took place. Bad times came. And this Indian, after all of these many, many, many years... Tattered, torn, and worn was this lanyard necklace that had never been taken off of his neck. The Indian was dying in utter poverty and a destitute life. Somebody at that time, when the the guy was too old and too weak to really care or know anything about it, was the first person to take that lanyard off his neck and open it up and pull out the piece of paper. On the piece of paper... The commander was a very wealthy man, very wealthy, and had willed his entire estate, thousands of acres and millions of dollars. He willed it all to the Indian. What benefit did it? What benefit did it do him? Our prized possession is the Bible. We carry it and we have it. And we... But what benefit is it to you if you don't use it? What benefit is it to you if you don't access what's in there that could benefit your daily life? Was it a noble thing to take that piece of paper and cherish it? Certainly. Was that really neat that he cherished that and would protect that? Absolutely. But what benefit did it give him in his daily life? Absolutely none because he never accessed the words that were on the page that was hanging around his neck. God's Word opens the key to abundant life for you. It opens the keys to abundant life for you. 
But for you to enjoy the benefits of being a Christian, for, for you to enjoy any benefits, for you to reap any daily benefits from this, you will have to activate God's Word in your life. It changes your life when you love God. Y'all stand. Lord, tonight we thank you for your word of direction for our life. And God, we're not just hearers, but we're doers of the word. Lord, that we fall in love with you and come into a love relationship with you that supersedes the lust of the flesh and the desires that the world brings. That our life is lived, bringing you glory and honor as we live in love and in obedience with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.